Okay, so here we are uh, on Christmas Eve 2015. Wow, just think back how quickly a year uh, goes by. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, four different directions looking at this uh, story of Christmas from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And actually, we've been doing a three-week series here at Westside, so I'm going to kind of wrap it up here tonight and go through it a little quickly. No one Gospel tells the whole story. Uh, of the Christmas. In fact, some of the Gospels don't mention the, the birth of Christ. And the, there's a good reason for that. The significance of Jesus' birth is best understood in the totality of his life, teachings, death, and resurrections. It, uh, resurrection. If we don't look at Jesus' life as a whole, then the birth actually is meaningless. It's just a nice little story. Uh, but because of who Jesus was, because of what he accomplished, that makes his birth extremely uh, significant. So the four Gospels in the New Testament uh, present four unique but complementary uh, pictures of the birth of Christ. So Matthew, uh, he's a traditional kind of guy. Uh, he's, he's the one that was uh, pre, uh, writing to the Jewish nation, and traditions were very, very important to him. And he started uh, his account of Christ's life with an elaborate genealogy going all the way back to Abraham. And so he's writing to the Jewish people declaring that Jesus is the king. He is the ruler. Uh, he's actually a king and ruler better than David and a teacher greater than Moses. And uh, Matthew takes great care to show us that the birth event of Jesus fulfills prophecies made in the Old Testament and makes use of these prophecies to present Jesus as a governor, the ruler of Israel, a prince, and as God's son. And so he is literally Emmanuel, God with us. And so we move on down to Mark and Mark his gospel account. Now, Mark is a man of action. He was a doer. And uh, he speaks to people who really want to get things done. They move from one task to another quite quickly and easily. They don't like to be tied down. They're people of action, uh, people who uh, enjoy freedom and uh, not being uh, restrained. And uh, Mark describes Jesus as a servant. That's very amazing. Here you have the ruler of the universe, the creator of the universe, comes down to live among us and to serve. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom uh, for many. So theologians call that a, a narrative of omission. In other words, Mark omits Jesus' birth and just gets straight in uh, to the story because his audience was not the Jewish people. His audience was Rome. And in Rome, people didn't care about where you came from. They cared about what you did. And in Rome, it's not important where a servant is born or from which family he comes. It's his service that defines him. Because in the first century, Roman uh, culture was deeply divided into the haves and the have-nots, the ruling class and the rest of everybody. And you think it's bad today. It was way worse then. And so uh, Mark defines Jesus' uh, mission and his ministry by the service he, he gives to others. And then we have Luke. Luke was a doctor, and Luke was a historian, and logic was very important to Luke. And so he was meticulous in his details. So he has actually the longest account of Jesus' life and the longest account of the birth of Christ. 
And um, he speaks to the marginalized people uh, in the world. And uh, he shows Jesus as a compassionate Savior. So Luke wrote his gospel primarily for a Gentile audience, Gentile audience and focuses on the traditionally marginalized and neglected people groups. So Jesus was born among the poor. He was rejected. Uh, Jesus, uh, or Luke takes great account to share with us how Jesus ministered to women and elevated women to equality with men. And we see that throughout Christian-founded uh, nations in the world today where women have the most opportunity. Jesus loved the children. And in fact, he gave a command. He said, don't stop them from coming to me. Uh, and he counted them as, in, as important, and so do we. Jesus ministered to the sick. Uh, he ministered to the poor. He ministered to the down and outer. He ministered to the distressed and the dejected. He ministered to uh, the attic. He ministered uh, to the prisoners. And Jesus said that every single human being is important. And then we come to John. And John was a man of passion. He was a man of heart. Uh, and experience. Some, some of us kind of reject experience where others embrace it a little bit more, uh, but you can see we're attacking it from all angles like the uh, apostles did in the Gospels. And John presents Jesus as God, as Almighty God. Uh, he's the one that came as the Word. The, in the beginning, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now, John knows very well that the Genesis account starts with that same phrase, in the beginning. And so John gives us a second account. It's almost like a second creation. It's a second time when the light of the world comes upon us. In the beginning was uh, uh, heavens and the earth, and the earth was dark, and, and it was formless, and void was upon the face of the deep, and God said, let there be light. And then when we come to John, uh, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's declaring Jesus to be the eternal creator of the universe, almighty God. And then down in verse 14, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John is declaring with the ut utmost sincerity and urgency, uh, declaring that Jesus is Almighty God. And he focuses on the divine attributes of Jesus throughout his, his uh, uh, gospel, the gospel of John. So you see four different types of people giving four different accounts of Jesus and his life and his birth. And so how does this uh, equate to us? What's in it for us what can we take away from this? Remember we said at the beginning there's something for everyone here tonight. So um, if you're like Matthew, uh, the guy who's full of traditions and embraced his culture, the story of Christmas is rooted in history. And that satisfies our intellect. It's not just a fable. The story of Christ's birth is rooted in history. It's a historical fact. And... and um, that satisfies our, our quest for understanding and knowledge. And it's part of history. You know what? You're part of history too. And you belong there. And you belong in the story that Jesus uh, so, so freely and uh, wonderfully gave to us. You're part of the story because he came uh, for you. And Mark, we see that the story of Christmas requires our repentance. This is Mark's 
uh, thesis through the gospel of Jesus. It was the first word that John the Baptist spoke. It was the first word that Jesus spoke in his ministry. It's the theme of the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark is repent. Repent doesn't mean do something religious. Repent means turn away from your way and turn toward God's way. That's what repentance means. It means giving up you as being king of your life and turning to Jesus as king of your life. Repenting, that means turning around. It doesn't mean we've arrived. It means we're going there. None of us have arrived there yet. And we're all in the same boat. We're looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so you can find in repentance freedom, true freedom. It's a cry of the human heart for freedom. And true freedom is only found in Christ. In Luke, we see the story of Christmas invites our worship. Luke takes great care to share how Zechariah worshipped the Lord. And Mary, when she heard that she would be with child by the Holy Spirit, she praised the Lord. We call that the Magnificat. And, and she exalted who God is. And then, and then um, the angels come and, and uh, declare God's glory to the shepherds. And then when Jesus uh, is taken to the temple by Mary and uh, Joseph, Anna and Simeon there, they, they worship God and praise God and give God the glory for seeing uh, Jesus there. And so that satisfies us emotionally. You know, worship uh, is reasonable. Emotions are reasonable. They're understandable when you give your emotions to something that is worth giving them to. Not, not just fake or, or hype or any kind of thing, but when you understand intellectually, when you stand emotionally who God is, we can worship Him truly. Then we come to John, and the story of Christmas there restores our relationship with God. He talks about this restoration that we have, that we can be satisfied uh, relationally, and we can find true peace with, with Almighty God, true peace with God. You know, if you want the peace of God, first you have to have peace with God. You have peace with God because of what Jesus did. Paul says that very clearly in Romans. And then, we, and then we see later on in the New Testament, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. But first you make peace with God. And it's not on your terms, it's on His terms. A lot of times we think making peace with God is on our terms. No, it's His way. And so uh, true peace with God can be found. I want to take one more look at this encounter with the shepherds. Uh, that Terry read just a few minutes ago in Luke chapter 2 in verse 10 to 14. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I love that God's invitation is to everyone. It is a broad invitation. It's a broad reach. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, For there is born to you this day in the city of David, that's Jerusalem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. I was listening to radio this week, and they said, what is a manger? Jesus was in there. I don't even know what a manger is. What is a manger? A manger is a feeding trough. It's dirty. It's stinky. It's smelly. It's full of saliva and slobber from cows and sheep and pigs and whatever eat out of them. And that's all Jesus had uh, to be laid in to get him up off the ground. And suddenly there was with the angel 
a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And if you wanted to know uh, what in excelsis Deo means, you, that's Latin for glory to God in the highest. So you guys all speak Latin now. That's very good. That along with a pluribus unum, and then you got it. So uh, a couple takeaways. We still have four different uh, gospel accounts that we're looking at, four different things that we can take from, and then just four uh, reminders before we finish here. Uh, I love Christmas. I, lo- I loved it when I was a kid before I knew Christ, and then when I came to Christ as an eight-year-old, and, and it began to take on a whole new meaning and been growing in that ever since. This is a time for celebration. The angels declared, I bring you good tidings of great joy. There's a lot of bad news in the world, isn't there? This is good news. God Almighty came to this earth because he loved you. And he died for you in your place so that you could live with him eternally to be set free, to be forgiven of your sins, to be made right with God, to have peace with God. That is good news. Good news means the gospel. The gospel means good news. This is good news. It's a time to celebrate all that God has done. I encourage you, uh, wherever you have family or friends getting together, take time to celebrate and remember uh, what he's done for us. Focus on him. Uh, Christmas is shouting out and declaring that God wants to know you and God wants you to know him. Number two, this is a time for salvation. The angel said, a savior who is Christ the Lord. A savior saves and a savior brings salvation and so if we if we needed information uh, god would have sent us a great educator if we needed uh, more government he would have sent us a politician uh, but what we need most is salvation so he sent us a savior a sal- salvation is the forgiveness of my past it's the power to manage my present situation maybe you'll still have problems in fact you still will have problems but you're able to Uh, manage those because Jesus takes one of your arms and and walks you through life. And uh, it's also a guarantee for our future that we'll live with him and reign with him forever. But just like any gift, it's not yours until you take it, until you receive it. And uh, this is also a time for reconciliation. Christmas is a time for reconciliation. The angel said, and on earth peace, goodwill, toward man. That's all mankind. God's peace is extended to, to everyone. It's a time for reconciliation. You know what? When we get together at Christmas, uh, sometimes there's family that we haven't seen in a long time. Sometimes there's friends maybe we haven't encountered before, and maybe something was said in the past, and there's not the greatest of relationship. This is a great time. This is a great time to extend that hand of forgiveness, to receive forgiveness, and to say, you know what? There, but for the grace of God, go I. Let's start fresh from this point on. It's a great time uh, to renew and to restore, to say I'm sorry, to say will you forgive me. Um, and it's also a great time to, to, to reach out and to ask God, is there anything that I'm holding against anybody else? And as we make that peace with God, then we can have uh, that peace uh, of God. And then when we have made peace with God, and we have the peace of God, then we can make peace with other people. It just, it just goes outward from there. And finally, uh, Christmas is a time for worship. They said, glory to God in the highest. In excelsis Deo. 
worshiping Almighty God. We have the opportunity. We have the understanding. I'm sorry, but your dog doesn't have that understanding. Your cat doesn't have, your tree doesn't have that understanding. Human beings have the capacity to worship Almighty God, to commune with Him, to have that relationship with Him, to know Him, and to be known by Him. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Man, I think God is good.